is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Guadagni Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Urban Rojas, and joining me are my two great co-hosts, Federico Perez and Raul Fana. And guys, here we are. It is a new month. It is finally March. The leap year, the leap day, you would say, is finally over. But we're heading into a, really a lot of stuff happening this month because, obviously, with the Paraguayan national team on both genders, both the male and the female side, we're obviously going to get uh, games happening with the friendly against Russia, but also talking about how Paraguay have been doing a wonderful job at the W Gold Cup, the first time that they participated in this tournament alongside various other uh, CONCACAF and CONMEBOL teams. Ralph was obviously, uh, he had the privilege of doing some amazing coverage in the first three games of Paraguay in their group with Canada, Costa Rica, and El Salvador. We'll talk about that. And I guess their ambitions now heading into the quarterfinals. We'll talk about what's been going on in the Copa Libertadores. It's another great week for Paraguayan teams in that competition, but also kind of a, a dilemma now for the stadium that has to be used and how them and also the teams participating in the Sudamericana will have to deal with that. We'll talk about that. Even CISO is back on the pitch at Brighton. This is a, it's good news, of course, for us as Paraguayan fans to see him back in action just before these friendlies and, of course, before the Copa America, which you know I think has been kind of getting a lot of news recently of the overpriced tickets. But we'll talk about that on another day. Let's go straight to someone coming straight out of his vacation all the way from Brazil. And yeah, I mean, Fede, you must come from a, I know you were kind of like switched off a bit of what's been going on in the world of Paraguayan football, but hey, coming back today on doing this show, I mean, we could say it's been a positive note, obviously happening with the, the women's national team and of course the, the clubs in the competitions all across South America. Hi, Roberto. Hi, Raf. Hi, everyone listening to What an Evision 2024 in this version. Oh, yeah, we got so much to talk about. Not much happened in the Apertura, to be honest, during the time that I was away. Not much has changed. Libertad's still at top. You see Cerro and Olympia not doing well, which are usually the teams that are going to fight against Libertad. And then you got weird teams right right behind Libertad. It's, it's weird to see Luqueño fighting there again after being relegated just a couple of years ago, Dos de Mayo, which was a team that was last year in intermediate and second division. So the Apertura, you don't know what's going to happen, even though I was listening to last week's episode and you guys were saying that it looks like Libertad is taking it away slowly. We got other things to entertain ourselves. Meanwhile, because the Libertadores uh, kind of shook, uh, shook a little bit uh, this week with Trinidad, especially. I mean, this team is what, uh, bottom of, of the standings right now? Uh, that last in the Apertura, and they made it through to the next stage, uh, just as Nacional did against a, a very popular team in Colombia. I don't think many Colombians thought that Nacional was going to go there and get that win, especially the way they did it. So it, really good results from the Paraguayan teams in Libertadores, showing that we got a better league, that we uh, much stronger than other countries. That's always good to see, especially in these kind of stages where you're going head-to-head -head and trying to get more games in the Libertadores, get more money too, because for these teams, it's pretty much the way to... To, to make their budget also for the whole season, I would even say. So, yeah, plenty, plenty to talk about. And I'm happy to see Julian Ciso back on the pitch. I want to see him get back to the rhythm, get a couple of goals. We, we got a whole bunch of Paraguayans that we're following around the globe. Uh, I think Enzo Gonzalez got injured on his last game also. I don't know what's the injury update on his status. Yeah, I've been kind of away from everything, Roberto. So I'm catching up. I'm coming off the waves. I'm coming off the beach. I'm coming back to what an vision, and I'm loving it. This is what I love doing on a day that is so special in paraguay it is the first of march it's a it's a memorable holiday so Fede, you know if you want to give a little bit of a history lesson to those that don't know the significance of primero de marzo 
You want me to? You want me to give a history? Uh, absolutely. Uh, hey, we, absolutely. Go for it. It's it's a they, do shows on March first. We'll do it today. Yeah, it is a holiday. It does have to do with the history of the country mainly, but. You know, I think if you go around the street here, most people don't even know really what's going on in this day. So, and Ralph knows what I'm talking about. Pretty much everybody's off today, a long weekend. So there's not much of history here in that sense, Roberto. Like when the holidays come down, most people don't even know what kind of holiday it is or what's the reason behind the holiday. They just want to get away from the job. And that's pretty much what you see here the week in this in this weekend so i don't know if that's going to affect also on the games that we're going to have because we do have a game this uh, on on the day that we're recording uh, on a holiday Seattle's going to play against Guarani. so that's a pretty big game it, it usually has a lot of people so i, I think a lot of people are going to be away from the city to be honest so i don't think we're going to have that many people in the stands this weekend and because the tournament hasn't been that good either no it hasn't and Ralph, i mean you know certainly coming to you uh Based in, you know, obviously today the, the holiday is, of course, the end of the Paraguayan War, the War of Triple Alliance. It was the day that uh, Francisco Solano Lopez was killed in action, actually, and on the 1st of March of 1870. But we're not talking about history here. Let's go about what Paraguay have been doing in historical fashion in the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup, because obviously you had the fortune of going to the three games in Houston, the 1-0 win against Costa Rica, the 4-0 loss to Canada, a really strong Canada side, who haven't conceded a single goal yet, reigning Olympic champions, and then... The thriller against El Salvador, where Jessica Pirayu Martinez scored a hat trick to secure their spot to the knockout stage. And yeah, I mean, before we get into the game that they have to play afterwards, I'd like to ask and talk to you about your experience be being there, being in the environment, seeing the players, speaking to the players. You know, we had some really great interviews that uh, Ralph has been able to do with some of the players, the coaches, and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, just talk about that experience uh, over there in Houston. Yeah, yeah. Hello, everybody. From it's quite a cold Houston, which maybe you guys noted in that final game. All the all the coaches and the teams were, were with the big coats because it suddenly got cold after having like a really hot uh, kind of weekend where they played uh, played Canada and the Costa Rica game before that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it was a great experience. I think for for Paraguay as a team. They enjoyed the the standard of the of the pitch, of the quality of the pitch, of the stadium, of the training facilities. Um, I was speaking a bit with Carlos Bona, the coach, and he's very happy with all the video analysis they're giving him because CONCACAF provides a lot of that. And he said he didn't have any of that before because he only has stuff from Conmebol, right? He doesn't usually get from another confederation. And they have their own video analysts that they've taken up there to be to be looking at the games and, and changing things um i think the team it, it's interesting right because I, I was there in the first game costa rica which was a very physical difficult game there was the canada match where i think everybody was very down the players i mean we know how good canada were but i think none of the players or even the coach felt particularly pleased with the performance and then we had that last match against el salvador which was maybe your typical paraguayan game, right? The Garra Guarani, the Vencero Morir, which I think comes from Primero de Marzo and and, uh, and Mariscal Lopez talking about history. That's probably where it all started. And they showed that, right? Because they went down 2-1. It, it was a game they shouldn't have been losing. Paraguay really dominated possession in the first half. And then in the second half, it got a bit scrappy. And, and they led El Salvador back into the game. El Salvador, of course, had nothing to lose. But then you saw the quality of Jessica Martinez, especially with that that final goal, right? I mean, she can do everything. She takes free kicks, 
Um, she takes the penalties. She can score from open play. She can now score headers at the back post. You know, she's she's doing a bit of everything. And it, it's really interesting when you speak to, to Jessica Martinez that she's very softly spoken. She's very kind of calm. But on the pitch, the way she leads the team as a 24-year-old, right? Remember, she's only 24. She leads that team from the front, very physical, gets stuck into challenges, that high pressing, which is something that the coach had spoken about and he wanted to do in that game. Um, it's, it's really interesting to see some of that contrast. And who knows what the result against Costa Rica could have been if Martinez played, because just so you guys know, she missed that match because it, she didn't have her U.S. visa. Big problem we've seen in the past, right? Julio and Ciso didn't play friendlies uh, for Paraguay recently in the, in the U.S. because of the same problem. So uh, lucky that, that they managed to get that sorted ahead of the Canada game. She got some minutes before putting in that star showing against El Salvador. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a great experience. CONCACAF are very good with, with time and, and managing mix zone and players. So you get to speak to a lot of players. They can't get out of it, even though some of them don't want to talk to you, especially after a defeat. But CONCACAF kind of kind of managed that really well. So we got some great content. And it's all on the Twitter channel for, for those people that want to kind of see some of those interviews and and, and follow a bit more of the, the Paraguayan women's team. Absolutely. So, I mean, Ralph, what are you just looking at the performances? Because certainly it was a, a situation. And, you know, I'd like Fede's thoughts on afterwards. It's really a situation where Paraguay came into this tournament really with the expectation of trying to build a squad to compete for obviously qualifying for the for the next World Cup in 2027. So I think for them, they kind of achieved that goal. So they got out of the group. Um, I think they were good enough that they finished second, which I think was probably beyond their expectation is that they thought maybe they'd go into the last third, uh, the last third place spots, which... Uh, Unfortunately, Puerto Rico kind of missed out due to the drawing of the lots. Uh, they actually had to do that because it was the final situation for both them and Costa Rica. And so after the game, they drew the lots and Costa Rica had to go through instead of Puerto Rico. So kind of in a way that Paraguay kind of missed out. Imagine having to lose and get eliminated because of that. But nevertheless, they will take on Mexico on Sunday. And, and this is a big one because, of course, we're coming off Mexico's historic 2-0 win against the United States. It hasn't been done many times in history, actually. Only twice, I think, in the last, oh, God, I want to say, like, 14 years or something like that. So this is a big test, really, for, for Paraguay to take on a... It wasn't going to be a, a hard test anyway for Mexico, against Mexico, but being able to take on a Mexico side who haven't conceded a goal yet. You know, they scored 10 goals in in three games, eight against the Dominican Republic, two against the United States, and then a no-no draw against Argentina. So, you know, this is this is a big test for, for Paraguay. I, I, and I, you know, rightly so, they are going to be the under... If they do win, they will take on the winner of Brazil-Argentina. So I think for Paraguay's case, you know, you never know what could happen, but I think it's it's going to be a bridge too far to really ask for the Paraguay side to, to do something against the really rejuvenated and recharged Mexico side. Yeah, well, I, I mean, picking up on a couple of points. Firstly, you mentioned correctly about 2027, right? That's the that's the narrative we're getting from the coaching staff, from everybody, that this really the, the goal for Paraguay is to qualify for the World Cup. They were a year ago. They were so close, right? That game against Panama that they, they conceded late on and, and they didn't qualify. They're just, you know, not. I wouldn't even say one game away. They're like 15 minutes away almost from going to the World Cup. So that really is the aim. 
And with that in mind, they the friendly before they got to the Gold Cup, they brought some under-20s players who just were there for that friendly. A couple of them stayed on in the squad. He's made, Carlos Bonner has made like six changes per game. So he's really chopping and changing the teams. He's played different formations in the match against uh, <laughs> El Salvador. He went, he changed formation within like 10, 15 minutes. So they're really working on lots of things and experimenting. So I think that's, that's a very good point. But also remember that this Mexico team beat them 4-1 last year. They played in the Pan-American games. And I was looking at the teams and it, it's pretty similar. I mean, you had, you know, uh, Ovalle, who's got that great goal against uh, against USA. You have Maria Sanchez. So it, it was a pretty similar Mexico team. And from Paraguay's standpoint as well, this has been a very stable team since since last year that they've been been working with or a stable squad, right? And he's mixing up the the starting 11. So this is a really good test to see. They lost 4-1, right? So are you going to get much closer? Are you going to give them a better game? Is there a chance you can do something? I mean, it's knockout football. In a way, anything can happen. But I think we also saw with the Canada game where where Paraguay are as well. I mean, that Canada game, they they never looked like they were going to do anything they, except for trying to stop Canada's score. They, they never really attacked. I think like Jessica Martinez had like one long shot out of frustration and, and that was pretty much all they could offer. So I think with Mexico, we'll, we'll see similar setup defensively trying to do something on transition, but whether they can get the result, I think would be, would be very difficult. Yeah, I think the expectations for me so far go uh, as far as this game, actually. Uh, I think we needed to get out of the group stage, need to, needed to build uh, a, a good team, and we kind of got that. I think we have it in starting, starting 11. We have players to to also come in the game and make the difference, to kind of fight for the starting role eventually also. And our star is always healthy, which is probably the best thing that you could have in a tournament like this. If Peter Jew is healthy if she's making the difference if she's scoring if she's getting those free kicks where she can also uh show her power um Paraguay can do something and it's 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 awful to hear what Ralph was talking about the visa thing especially when you have a big tournament like this one I mean if it's a friendly I can get it uh maybe but not at this level we need all the girls especially your star player so it, it's not good that she missed a couple of practices, not only a game, but several practices. And, you know, even for the mindset for, for the, for a player like her, that she wants to go in a tournament and, and leave her footprint and score a lot of goals. She wants to do something for her team. So she probably suffered that situation of not being there for the first game. So hopefully that she builds from that. Like Ralph was saying, she's very, she's fearful in, in the pitch. She's totally calm outside. And she's a player that I love watching. Most of the time I, I follow her the way that she moves on the pitch because she really is the star of this team. But I, I don't know defensively how we've been so far, Ralph. I kind of wanted to ask you in that sense because when you go against the big teams, you just said it, you're going to have a defensive setup. You're barely going to attack. If Peter Ju Martinez gets an opportunity, maybe we can score. Lisa Chamorro also. We have players that can score uh, on, a, on offense. But my worry is more in defense. How have we looked so far in that sense in this tournament? Yeah, well, the game against Costa Rica was only the second time that Carlos Bona had, had seen his side keep a clean sheet. I think the other one was the 10-0 against Jamaica, which which wasn't really... That was basically an under-20s team they were, they were playing against. So 
that was that was, I think, an important match. I thought against Canada, they actually defended very well for the first twenty minutes or so. But of course, over time, the the Canadians are, are so good. You're having Premier League players, basically, or, or women's Super League, I should say, players, and and then on each wings, and then you have a Benfica star at the moment in in Livy Smith, who scored. I think she beats uh, Freitas for one of the goals. What the person I've been most impressed with, I think, is Tanya Riso. I think Tanya Riso is having a very good tournament. She's she's kind of looked never really out of her depth. She she's managed to do that thing a good defender does of when you're winning your your duels and your challenges, everything got, starts coming the other side of you instead, right? Um, we know the strength of someone like Veronica Riveros, but she's 36 now, so. The replacement it looks like they're working with is I think uh, Camila Barbosa from from Olympia, who she she played in the first two games. She didn't play the the final one. Uh, she's very good aerially, very very strong in the air, which typical Paraguayan football, right? You can you can imagine. Um, so that's that's definitely a name to look at when we think about how we're going to to change some of these players because well, Tanya Riso I think is only thirty, so we we still got some time left, but. Riveros 36, Dulce Quintana who played a great game in midfield against El Salvador. She's 35, so there's a couple of changes that that we want to make. But you can tell the way Carlos Bona sets up is he's he's erring more on the defensive side, right? So definitely we're going to see more of that. I think defensive stability over over time if he continues as coach. 100, and we'll obviously see what Paraguay can do if they can achieve a historical win against Mexico or if their road ends over there in the United States as we switch gears to teams that are not ending their roads to two Paraguayan sides who completed two second stage uh, victories to qualify to the next stage. The first one we'll talk about is obviously the one that we saw uh, the other day on Wednesday was Nacional 3, Atletico Nacional nil over there at the Estadio at the National Girardot in Medellin. Goals from Alfaro Avelo and Velasco of a penalty. And yeah, I mean, Fede, this is a huge win for Nacional. Obviously, you know, being able to to achieve something like this is very historic. Juan Pablo Pompido's side is really getting this side on on a good front. And, you know, rightly so. I think after getting that win over there, the defensor that Chaco, we had those fears of like, oh, I don't know if it's going to be enough. I think Nacional are always a strong team playing at home, but to score three against them is is big. It's huge for them. It's a huge confidence boost. And now they got Palestino in the next round, a Palestino side that just barely scraped past Portuguesa Venezuela uh, in the uh, in, in that stage as well. But I'm a national player or, you know, fan or whatever. I feel very confident of being able to go to the group stage. Obviously, after after beating probably one of the hardest teams in this in this stage, uh, that was Atletico Nacional. You're believing now, right, that you can make it to the group stage, that you're going to play a whole bunch of games, that you're going to have a, a calendar full of international, continental games. And that's that's great, uh, not only for Nacional, but also for Trinidense. That, that gives Paraguay also uh, another spotlight in this tournament. And I'm really happy about that situation, that both teams were able to go through this week. But for as for Nacional, uh, I think they haven't been able to... Uh, have a stable game yet in the sense of uh get get their their style of play right uh, with with Pompido yet uh they they don't have a starting 11 they're mixing up a lot of players they did that in the first games during the apertura so you weren't seeing the team was was ready for the challenge but then you know you have players that have experience players that really play really well 
like Claudio Nunez, he's stable, always in defense. He's always playing uh, really good uh, and, and being one of the leaders in the pack. And then you have Anthony Silva, which you brought him for these kind of games. I mean, that's a goalkeeper that has so much experience. He, he's a, he has, you know, he's worn that the national team jersey so many times. So he's ready for these kind of games. And he showed up in this game also. He was very important to clean that clean sheet and not let uh, Atletico Nacional get close. And then you had on the other side, maybe a little help from the goalkeeper from Atletico Nacional, which has that background because he's Paraguayan and he did play for Nacional. Uh, back in the days, and he finally got a transfer outside of the country. He went to Colombia. He went to Atlético Nacional, and you know that's destiny. He, he puts you right there in front of you, your ex team, and he did not have a good game. He had a lot of mistakes, and I'm really sorry for Kili Rojas. He also had a lot of mistakes in the opportunities he had on the national team. So this is not new for him. And now you have Atlético Nacional fans all over him because he was probably one of the responsible ones of his team not making it through, or, or at least not having a good game. And as for Nacional, we'll see what what they can make this uh, in the Apertura. They have not looked good so far. They're not gonna, they're not even fighting it, but it is good money for them. It's a great motivation going forward. And uh, after six, seven games of, of this year, it, it is important to get these kind of wins also for the coaches, right? Because Pupido was probably, you know, hanging loose if he wasn't going through uh, after winning the first game also against Atletico Nacional. So it was confidence for him also a boost for the staff and they're moving forward but i'm happy for nacional because this is a team that already has tradition in the libertadores they made it to the finals one you gotta respect this team they they made it to the final without winning an away game i think uh, i that's think true. this was their first away win since 2009 and they got to the final 2014 so that's they're already doing better um it was it was an incredible result i mean i was at the the paraguay women's game at the same time so i didn't watch the the full match but picking up on what fede said it was it was kind of a tale of the two goalkeepers in a way the one that's just left nacional to atletico nacional had the mistakes the one that comes back to paraguay and is in nacional has a very good game it's strange right even though it was three zero it could have been much closer if it wasn't for for Anthony Silva making some big saves. So it, it, that seems to really be one of the, the stories and the themes there. And I think those 90 minutes has really changed Nacional's outlook for the year because as Fede is saying, right, maybe Pompido would have gone if they didn't qualify. For sure, there would have been much more focus on the league position and, and the poor league position. But now suddenly the, it, it, it switches your, your thoughts because they will feel if they beat Atletico Nacional, they can definitely beat Palestino. Or they will, you know, they will feel that internally. I'm not saying it will necessarily go that way. And so now the focus is back on the Libertadores. And then assuming you get through those two games, your focus is on the six group games because that's what's going to bring the money because you get paid per game if you win, right? Remember the Comebol bonus system. And so the Apertura, they can forget about and so suddenly it changes the whole the whole kind of focus of the team. And, and it will be really about playing almost cup finals, which would be the first, these, these two games against Palestino, but then the group games. Because like I say, the, the money you can get for a, a team like Nacional just for winning one group game can be very big. So it's, it's really interesting how I think the momentum, or, or not the momentum, but the focus of their season has just changed with this result in Medellin. It's a huge win. It's a huge historic win. And another historic win that we saw over there in the Copa Libertadores happened to Trinidense, Sportivo Trinidense, after the 1-1 draw against, against the uh, 
against El Nacional de Ecuador. We're continuing with the national trend here. Uh, they go in all the way to Quito. They take on El Nacional over there. It's always a tough game to play over there. But it, Thomas Ryer with the winner, you know, to get historic win for Trinidad and now take on Colo Colo, which again will not will be another tough task. But Trinidad have really punched above their weight in what they've done so far under their manager, Jose Arrua. And, you know, who's stopping them? Who can really stop them? And can they indeed make a, another historic run and you never know it could indeed be four Paraguayan teams in the group stage I'm really looking forward to to what, what could happen with this Trinidad team also in Libertadores Roberto, because we, we already saw what this team is capable of last season uh, maybe they haven't been able to uh, start off uh, this year yet but they did a great job in both games and with players that have, you know, the background of even be playing in Intermedia back in the days in, in second division. And they're still in this squad, like Thomas Ryer, he's Argentinian, but I remember him, he was very young when this team was, was, was starting to look like it could make it to first division. He, ha he hasn't had a starting role, to be honest, in the first, in the first year that this team uh, made it back to first division. I'm talking about past the past season but he's getting more game time now and he scored a great goal i mean you, you saw the patience that he had with the ball inside inside the box uh he, he even he even faked it out right right in front of the defender because he, he didn't have the, the the right space to to finish his play so he he had a, a very good game just like pedro pedro i'm really happy for him also pedro del valle sorry <clears throat> who was probably one of the playmakers of this team during the whole game Uh, uh, he's also had problems. He had his opportunity in Libertad, a big team, but barely played there. Now came back to a smaller team like Tunidense, and he's you can you can see that he if he's healthy, he can make the difference in offense. And he was probably one of the ones that made most of the plays when the team had the opportunity to attack. Yeah, they played an away team, uh, an away match, but I think they played a, a, an intelligent game, uh, especially because you had uh, on one side. Uh, a coach with a lot of experience like Ever Hugo Almeida and on the other side on the Paraguay team you had Jose Arrua who, who is having his first uh, games in the international stage so it's good to see him also go through and I'm looking forward to this Trinidense they have a lot of players that have been playing together for a long time Ralph and they know what they what they do on on the pitch it was a 1-0 but they were smart about it they had opportunities to score before even Yeah, smart is the right word of, of just how Trinidense have managed this whole situation because when they qualified for the Libertadores, or at least the preliminary rounds, there's obviously a temptation to go out and spend big and bring in, I don't know, like some Argentinian player or Brazilian players. And they didn't do that. And I felt they, they just didn't want to gamble, right? They didn't want to take a risk because if they had got knocked out, even, even in any of these phases, the money is not going to they're not going to win back that that money from if they go out and sign a big player. And that player is just going to sit around and, and probably not do much. So instead, they've gone with a lot of these players who, who never quite made it at a big club because Fernando Romero is another. He was at Cerro. He does some nice things, but not really. You know, he never was a star at Cerro. Uh, he had better times in maybe someone like Guairenia, a bit like Pedro del Valle that, that Fede also mentioned. Then they brought in some young players. Alan Pereira didn't play. Um, they have Gilberto Flores from the from the Preolimpico. He was in defense, but these are young players. So they've really mixed it up with their very, uh, it's like a conservative approach, right? They haven't gone for the big names. Lucas Barrios has left, of course. Um, so 
going into it, I thought, I don't think they have the team to do this because looking at their league positions, even at the Nacional, they, they haven't been managing to gel or play very well. But they played this really intelligent game. They they allowed a Nacional possession, but not too much penetration, right? I think El Nacional had three shots on target, maybe, in the whole game. So they really did a, a very good job in, in containment. And the longer the game went on as a draw, it, it's getting closer to penalties. But it's El Nacional who, who are going to feel like we have to do something with the home team. Is at altitude. And the longer it goes on, the more frustration creeps in, the chances might appear. And there was a bit of really, really good quality in the box from, from Thomas Raya, who who puts it away. And he's he's interesting, right? Because he's Argentinian, but I don't think he ever played in a top division in Argentina. He came, he was in somewhere like San Telmo or some some kind of club, got picked up and, and taken over to Paraguay very young. Um, but he showed some of that technical quality and and maybe he can he can now have a breakthrough after this uh, after this goal that that sends him into that that big game against Colo Colo, who of course now is this is an even bigger task because Colo Colo former uh, former champions back in the nineties and and more well, basically one of the biggest teams in Chile. It, it's they have the opposite of Nacional, I think. Nacional have gone from playing a very big team, former champion, to a smaller team, whereas they've gone from. Well, still a very well-known and big club, but now it's getting harder as they as they progress. So for Trinidense, this this could be a step too far against Colo Colo, but hey, if they made the group stage, that would be incredible. And it leaves us with a conundrum, right, Roberto, with the with the stadium. Like, what are we going to do next week with all these games? Yeah, and I'm just going to go into that because obviously, not only do we have the authorities with those two games for Nacional and Trinidense, we also have the Sudamericana. Occurring, and the funny part is, it's four Paraguayan teams taking on each other. So you got Guarani taking on Sportivo Luqueño, and Sportivo Ameliano taking on Olimpia. Obviously, many people are asking, well, why don't you use La Noya? Well, they are still fixing the stadium. Uh, that's why Zero Bordeno haven't played a single game yet uh, in the in the Apertura. They're fixing the lights because they want Comebol to have them to the highest standard. But yeah, Feather, this is this is creating a problem, you know, with the APF with Comebol and, and with these clubs about. How they're gonna play all these games, especially when they're all in the central area. Yeah, it is a problem. You, you could see it coming, even when the when the year started off, and Cerro said we're not gonna be able to use our stadium probably the first four, maybe even five months of the year because of the of the situation with the lights and, and a couple of things they needed to change. But yeah, to be honest, there's been more concerts I think than football in that uh, stadium so far this year. Uh, hopefully, it, we we need that. We need that stadium. There's no other one like it. I mean, Olympia doesn't have a stadium up to the standards as of right now. What it needs doesn't either. There's no stadium that's even close to that situation as of right now. Maybe Nacional, which is a team that kind of invested a bit, but it's a very small stadium. You can't take the big teams there or you can't play Comebol uh, games there either. So none of the stadiums are up to the standards and yeah this is a country that's going to host a world cup or it's going to try to host a world cup eventually but those plans are far beyond this year as of right now they need to they need to get a, a solution on this thing and the only the only solution i particularly find is play everything in defensores and chaco and maybe postpone a couple of games of the apertura maybe move a couple of games a bit more forward when the calendar is a little bit more open but yeah you're the one with the problem and i'm talking about the league right i'm talking about the teams 
they are the ones with the problems because they are the ones that don't have stadiums. And this is something we talked about so many times, Roberto. Teams that come from Intermedia come to second division and they don't have a home ground. They don't have a stadium. It's crazy, but it is a reality here in Paraguay. And not much is being done as of right now about it, Ralph. Yeah, because it's, it's well, firstly, this is an issue that Comebol has kind of started from this year. I think they made the change specifically about the LED lights that have to be used in the stadium, which is why Cerro, that have a very new stadium, still have to upgrade their lights. And, and Paraguay is working towards hosting big tournaments. They're really focused, I think, on the Pan American Games is something they really want to do. But the Pan American Games doesn't need a bunch of football stadiums, right? It will just need one and they'll be fine. With this, the way Cerro have planned this, they were pretty much going to be ready for the group stages because they, they're not in the qualifiers, so they didn't care. They're just thinking about being ready for the group stages. Suddenly, with these other teams that are qualifying and, and getting through, it's thrown up this problem because also of TV, right? So because of t the TV slots for these games are Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So you have three days, but now we have four games. When you have one stadium, they say that do the torneos y competencias, that do the the like transmission, they only have one kind of, uh, what's the word, like satellite truck that they can use as well. So they can't have that in two places at once. So pretty much every game has to be in defensores. I think Comebol are going to have to basically break one of their own rules and allow a game either on Monday or on Friday. I'm, I'm guessing Friday will be the more likely. Or they break their own rules again and they allow a double header in the stadium, which which traditionally they haven't done. By the way, the, the Women's Gold Cup, where it been, those were all double headers um, because it was also an easier way to get everybody in the same stadium and, and reduce costs. So that might be one of the two options. <laughs> The other option for the clubs, which they won't want to do, is you could, in theory, go to Luque or you could go to Ciudad del Este, but you're going to pay a big fine to Comebol because you're playing in a stadium that is almost up to regulation, but it isn't for the lights. So I've understood you could play the game there. You, you won't be kind of prohibited from playing, but you will pay a big fine. And we just talked about the money. All these teams are in this for the money, so it doesn't make sense, I think, to take the fine. Something's going to have to give. Uh, my guess is we see a game on Friday. That's I think that's the only way we can solve this. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of these clubs guys would take the risk of losing more money than they're trying to get. So, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, quite a conundrum of what's going to happen. And I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens to all these clubs and, you know, what kind of scheduling conflicts that uh, all these teams have to deal with, with Comebol, with the Paraguay FA, and, and yeah, as well as, Moving forward, uh, obviously switching gears to our final segment is Julio Enciso. Julio Enciso is back on the pitch. We were able to see him in two games over the last week. Uh, he returned in the 1-1 draw against Everton. Uh, he came out and played the last, I think, 15 minutes or something like that. His first game ever since uh, his injury, his meniscus injury back in August. And then he goes and plays the the FA Cup loss to, to Wolves. They lost 1-0. But, you know, it's getting into good action. He's obviously coming back in a, at a good time, you know, right when we're about to get games for the Paraguay national team. Obviously, we're about three months away from the, officially the start of the Copa America and other games happening. You know, certainly him also returning for the Europa League is a big thing for Brighton as they take on Roma next week as well. So, Ralph, only good signs for him. And, you know, I've, I've had the fortune of seeing some of the games. I don't know how much you've been seeing of his kind of little cameos. He's kind of changed the way that 
or at least like it's been kind of a, a fresh spark in comparison to to a Brighton team that's been dealing with a lot of injuries as well. I think having Enciso back and, and being able to bring that spark is a is good news for them and good news for Redmond Cherby as well. Yeah, yeah, good news all, all around. And I think you're right. When he comes on as a sub, he does still have that magic, right? He he adds a, a little bit more of like zip and intensity and uh, what's the word? Like almost volatility because suddenly you're like, what's this guy going to do next? He still has that. He hasn't lost that. Of course, what we need now is for that to turn into the, the end product, which he was doing towards the end of last season when he was actually scoring goals, making assists. So I'm sure that will come though. I think the the first step was to get him back on the pitch. Um, he looks happy. He's he's looking good. He looks in good shape after the the layoff. So so let's just hope that he can build up those minutes and then we start to see the end product again. And then that turns into goals for Paraguay. That's what we really want. Yeah, because we have a lot of important games ahead this year for the national team and. And Ciso is definitely on the plans. We missed him last year, so we want to see the best version back in action. I think it's going to take uh, some time, though, guys. I mean, he was off the pitch for a longer time than I was expecting, to be honest. I thought, you know, back in January, beginning of February, we we're going to already see him. But they, they took it slow with him, uh, which is the Brighton way. They've, they've always done that with their players. And I don't know what... What, what, what the feeling is, though, with this team, I, I don't watch every single Brighton game, but I felt like they had a better roster last year. That That's why they ended up signing a whole bunch of younger players again, right? I mean, they just rebuilt and rebuilt uh, season after season. So now you have Barco even starting now really close to Julio Ciso. That could always be a a, a, a new friend for him. For him, he he likes to he likes that approach. Also with his teammates, you always see him hugging with the, with his teammates. He had that special relationship with Cancelo last season. I do think he kind of le- needs that links those those links in the pitch to make the difference. He kind of needs to feel like he's playing with with players that 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 he feels comfortable around and to see the best Julian C. So we want to see him score big goals against the big teams. We want to see him back in action and hopefully not get injured ever again because we really missed him during this whole time. He's probably one of the best players we got out there and hopefully now we get to see the best of him. We hopefully would hope so. Um, obviously, we'll have to wait and see. They play on they take on Fulham actually tomorrow in the uh, in the Premier League before they take on Roma in the first leg of their of their tie against in the Europa League. So obviously, we're going to be excited to what's happened there to a lot of Paraguayans abroad and to all the other Things happening in Paraguayan football as a whole as we close out another great episode of Guarani Vision for myself, Roberto Rojas, Pele Perez, and Raul Hanna. Thank you so much for listening. See you soon.